ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. How did you get to work this morning or, or to the shops or the gym or wherever you needed to be? Did you drive? Do you have access to public transport? Did you just jump on and, and use that or did you maybe ride your bike? Now, if you did cycle this morning for transport and not just for a bit of exercise or fun, then you are a rare breed, sadly. According to the last census, just 3% of Victorians said that the bike was their chosen way of getting to the office. You're also more likely to be in the city. The level of infrastructure there to make that cycling commute safe and effective far outweighs anything you'll find in regional areas. So how do we go about changing that? I did ride my bike to work this morning. I don't live far away. It's something I love to do when I can. Leave the car behind, do something a bit active, have that ride to look forward to on the way home. It's simple, but I find it really perks me up. Now, if I'm looking for a scenic ride for some relaxation or fitness, I'm golden. Here in Shepparton, the Goulburn Valley, I've got beautiful riding paths aplenty and, of course, right around Victoria, the Great Rail Trail brings in the cyclists from far and wide. But if I want to use my bike for my commute, to head from A to B for work, for shopping, for school, for whatever, it is a very different story. My name is Nick Healy. I've been filling in for Rochelle all this week. Today, I'm asking, how do we make regional Victoria more bike friendly. It is a big shift to make, hitting the pedal power for the day's commute, leaving the car behind. Easier said than done in too many parts of the state. What needs to change to get people riding right around Victoria, both regionally and in the city? So this morning, I want to hear from you. What's stopping you from using the bike for your commute? What needs to change to make it viable? And if you are riding whether you're in the city or original area, tell me the good stuff. Tell me what works. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Now, Lee Egan is a name well-known around the Goulburn Valley. He was Australia's first elite men's BMX world champion, known as the master of BMX. He's kept that passion for all things riding. These days, he's a tireless advocate for cycling, both as a sport and beyond. Lee, good morning. Oh, mate, thanks for having me. There is a huge focus on cycling around Shepparton at the moment as a sport. We're going to be hosting events as part of the Commonwealth Games in 26. How much interest is there locally when it comes to using a bike as transport? Oh, look, I think there's a fair bit of interest simply because we're, uh, we're, we're, we're pretty lucky with, um, uh, with the lack of hills around our area. So, you know, from one end of town to the other, it's pretty, pretty flat. So if you're really not commuting or utilising your bike to get around town, it's, I think it's an opportunity missed. What do you rate, how do you rate, rather, the infrastructure when it comes to our bike paths and more in terms of using bikes as a transport? Oh, look, I think local government have worked pretty hard to, to get uh, a lot of the infrastructure in place. I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, ratepayers don't like to be held up in any way, shape or form. So when the, to put in infrastructure in place is pretty difficult. But, yeah, the majority of the time the infrastructure is there. It's, it's, you know, we've, got, we've got some pretty good paths. Um, majority of the bike paths, uh, it's all been set up, you know. So, yeah, I think, I think it, they've done a pretty good job to date. But, you know, keeping it up to date is also very difficult. 
Well, that is part of the problem, isn't it? I mean, when we talk about this infrastructure, it isn't just about painting some lines down the side of the road. It's about making sure it's a lot more involved than that. And I think, as you said, keeping it updated, keeping it good, that's a hard yeah. thing and an expensive thing for councils. Oh, super expensive as well. And, and, and look, I mean, also it's educating of uh, the people that we're sharing the roads with as well, you yeah? know. There's, there's often difficulties with people that are, uh, you know, uh, aren't up to speed with how things work and, you know, what the rules are pertaining to cyclists and, and bike lanes and, and, and that infrastructure that we're talking to. So education is probably a really, really big part of it as well, which I think it just needs to be looked into. We're talking bike lanes, but, of course, the infrastructure to make cycling as a transportation viable goes much deeper than that and i know this morning i'm going to be talking a lot about that end of trip facilities i've got to say when i ride around shepparton i'm often on the hunt for anywhere to actually you know lock up my bike afterwards it feels like some part of the equation is missing here yeah i mean uh they have tried a few different things in the past but uh yeah yeah the it is a very difficult situation to um, you know, uh, have access to things and you know locked up lock up areas and uh, stuff like that. I think um, a lot of the overseas European countries and, and Asia and that have got it down pat, which which is probably something we need to look at. You know because you know, there's so many bikes and that around there. We we just need to catch up. Uh, Lee, I'm just going to hold you for a second. David from Titans called in. David, good morning. Uh, good day. You're trying to ride around your area. What's it like? Oh, I can't ride around my area. When I lived in Melbourne, I used to ride to work, shopping, swimming pool, box and dice. So it was great stuff. I loved it. I enjoyed it. Um, but I just can't ride here. I live uh, 20k outside Kyneton. Uh, the only, the main road access is too narrow. Um, I dream of a dedicated laneway painted on the side of the road, but you couldn't do it. There just isn't the space. And this road is an over-dimensional route, so the big articulated lorries which come down from New South Wales towards Melbourne take this road, and it's just simply too dangerous. So you have you just been leaving the bike at home? Have you made any attempts, or is it just too much I, at the moment? I, about six months ago, I had it reconditioned, determined to use it again, but um, no, it's still sitting on the veranda in mint condition. Yeah, and that's really obviously disappointing for someone like you who would want to be on the bike and leaving the car behind. It sounds like to you, a 20k ride's a bit of nothing. Uh, look, it's such a shame because we used to have a, a local branch line, railway line, and that was closed in, I think, the 50s or the 60s. Uh, but it would have been a wonderful easement mm. for a bike path. But, of course, the, when it was closed, the bits of land were sold off to adjoining landholders. So we really have no capacity for establishing a bike lane unless it's immediately beside this major OD route um, where the lorries use. David, thanks for calling in. That was David on the text line. Back to Lee Egan in Shepparton. I mean, Lee, it's not a safe thing for him to be riding around there. And I've got to say, there's more than a few roads in most regional towns where it just doesn't feel like you are... You're taking your life into your own hands if you're on the pushy sometimes. Oh, look, most most definitely. I mean, uh, we've had a couple of uh, situations where we've had to deal with... Um, you know, friends and family that have been uh, hit out the road. And I mean, people don't go out to, uh, you know, 
run people over. It's just, uh, as no. I said, get back to educating um, people and, and hopefully in the future then we can get that infrastructure the infrastructure that we need to, to get more bikes on the road. I mean, like for young families that are, you know, obviously you've got uh, you know, high interest rates with their homes and petrol bills and things like that, you can save quite a bit of money if you, know, if you can get back on the bike. Lee, these days you are actually selling bikes in town. I know how busy yeah. you are. I promise I'll let you go soon. You said before there was a bit of interest when it comes to just biking around as transport. Is that reflected in who's coming in and buying from you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, most definitely. You know, like, um, you know, as I said, we're lucky in Shepparton because it's such a flat area and it's, and it's not a, it's not a yeah, huge town. So, yeah, it's a good opportunity for people to to actually access their bike and, and go to work. Um, I've got so my daughter working in Melbourne at the moment and really parking fees now you know, in the city ah. and, and CBD, um, yeah, riding a bike's just saving a fortune. And I was just going to say quickly, with the Commonwealth Games coming here, obviously that's really exciting. It's going to be a huge boost for the sport. Do you think it'll be a boost for cycling in general outside of the sporting aspect of it? Oh, most definitely. Um, look, and, and, and getting back to the infrastructure, I mean, you know, local government are going to be right on the ball because there's going to be lots of people from all over the world in our area training on our roads um, and, uh, yeah, the local community really need to know that they're going to be there. And so hopefully the infrastructure's up to date by then. Lee, thanks so much for chatting this morning. Lee Egan, he's a former professional BMX rider these days in Shepparton and quite a vocal advocate for cycling right around the region. And I do believe he put his hand up and said he wouldn't mind being the mascot for cycling for the Commonwealth Games. Not sure if that ever came through. On the text line, someone saying, why don't cyclists use the lanes provided rather than the roads where they cause issues for traffic? Supporting the minority, not the majority. All I would say on that, from my perspective as someone who does cycle, they're not always there. The, the The lanes on the road are not always taking you where you need to go. My name's Nick Healy. I've been filling in this week for Rochelle. One local regional group that's been working absolutely overtime to promote cycling around their part of the state is Cycle, state, uh, cycle Safe Mount Alexander. And Penny Gilbert has been on the forefront of that push. Penny, good morning. Hello, that's a very um, inflated <laughs> introduction. <laughs> how big is sorry? How big is bike riding where you are? Uh, it's really big, actually. Like um, during COVID, uh, myself and another man from Malden got together um, with all of the cycling groups. Uh, in our region, and we were really uh, surprised, each of us, of how many there were. So that was, I'm, I sort of represent commuters, and there's uh, mountain biking and race tracking and gravel biking, and, yeah, people just love riding around my area, yeah. How, how does that split go, though? I mean, how many people are commuting? How many people are mountain biking? Do you have a sense of, of I guess, where the effort is going? Um, well, so anyone who rides a bike around here will do it recreationally and often they will do it as a commuter as well. So definitely the mountain bike groups have some really great places they can go. The track cyclists have a really nice track, but they also get out on the roads as well. Yeah. What's the infrastructure like for people who are commuting, Penny? (laughs) Well, yeah, that's, I was just listening to the 
go from Shepherd and there. Um, yes, so we have infrastructure in Castlemaine. I'm just sitting in a car in Malden, um, and there's no bike infrastructure that I can see in Malden itself. Um, so there's we've got all the you know these little towns around Castlemaine itself, but Castlemaine's just had a big flood with all of the floods and it's taken out our major off-road bike tracks and I mean I know people do commute on the roads my husband's one who like a lot of people ride to catch the train and then in Bendigo ride to wherever they've got to go but if if I want to send my kids I want them off the road so some people would just say get them on the footpath but there's so many issues with riding on a footpath because of driveways coming across and people reversing out of their driveways or not even being aware so yeah we have got tracks but not many of them are working right now because of the floods and they haven't been fixed since the flooding and we're just kind of holding our breath i've got programs ready to go for grade six kids mm. teaching them to, that they can ride to high school but i'm i just can't do it until the tracks are fixed so they're, they're there, but they're not maintained. And they yeah, is that a timing there. issue? Is that a funding issue? Is that an interest issue? Where, where's oh, the hold-up oh, no. on, fu- on, on the fix? Always funding, 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 always that. And because of, you know, we say kind of unseasonal events, and, I mean, we're going into more and more climate change um, big events, so the council's going, why would we fix it when... It just could get flooded out again this winter. So, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, it's really nice when you're riding that you're riding beside a creek, but when it floods, it takes all the surface off the tracks. Yeah, so. Uh, look, frustration, and obviously, you know, your group is called Cycle Safe. That, yeah. that sounds like a big safety <laughs> issue to me. Yes, yep, it is a safety issue. And I rode a group out from the Steiner School um, when we have Ride to School Day, which is a great and now lacking in funding event that happens every year. But, yeah, we had to get off our bikes and walk some of the parts of the track because it was too rough. Yeah, Penny, just going back to this idea of cycling as a commute, what would need to change around your region to make that safe and viable? Well, (laughs) you know, it's the costly infrastructure part. Yeah, so we've got a track along Campbell's Creek and one along Forest Creek. They don't Mm. actually connect... Mm. And there's been some really good plans put through. Um, We're changing the sort of centre of town, but they didn't really take into account bike transport, which is increasing in Castlemaine, regardless of the lack of infrastructure. But mainly with e-bikes. E-bikes and parents taking their kids around on bikes. That's what I've seen more and more. And then older people who can't ride a bike necessarily on their own e-bike. That's... Like, that's where it is, the e-bike land. But there's not infrastructure throughout the actual town. So you can ride from Campbell's Creek to sort of the outskirts. You can ride from along the Forest Creek track to the outskirts. But you can't get around in the town really safely. So they've, yeah, it just, it hasn't connected it's not connected into the centre or, you know, out to the yeah. sports park or to the library or to that primary school. So if there were safe paths to places kids needed to go, you've got an incredible um, education program right there, you know, because you teach kids to ride early and then they just take it into their lives. 
because this is not, the element. Not just the bike riding, yeah. But I mean, in terms, of, you can, it, you know, lots of people can ride a bike. Australia owns more bikes than I think per capita the rest of the world. Yeah, you can ride a bike, but riding it as your form of transport instead of get mum or dad to take you places. <laughs> if kids know they can move themselves, great form of independence. Then they just take it through life. Then yeah, adults but, can take it into adulthood as well. Yeah, I'm really yeah. fascinated. You're saying that there are great paths when they're not flooded out, but they don't necessarily go where you want to go. I've seen this in a couple That's of regional right. cities I've lived in. Beautiful, scenic. I love it. It's my most relaxing time on the weekend, but it's not taking me to and from the shops. It's not taking me no. to and from work. I. As no. I said, I rode to work this morning. There is a reasonable level of infrastructure, but then for quite a bit of that ride, no bike paths, no way of me, you know, I'm either in a lane or I'm, you know, dodging parked cars. This is what you kind of contend with if you are trying to use your bike as a commuter device. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah. And then we've got only one place to park bikes undercover in Castlemaine, that's at the train station. But then, ta-da, V-Line and um, with all their brilliance change their trains and don't like bikes getting on the train. (laughs) That is the other side of this equation. Many people talking about paths today and quite a few text lines coming in. That end-of-trip infrastructure, where are you parking? You know, are there places for you to fill up a water bottle while you're cycling around? Just little elements like that that often get missed in this conversation. Yeah, yeah. And we have got a few. So we've got the Healthy Heart of Victoria. I don't know what they're called now. Um, but they did put in some bike fixing locations and then mm. water spots. So that's been great to have that. But, yeah, they, I mean, that's like an outside of the council situation. But, um, yeah, so they're kind of there. I don't know how much they get used. But it's all those connecting dots. So... You know, we've even got bikes with bike racks on the front, but there's only two buses. I'm sorry, we've got buses with bike racks on the front. You can fit two bikes, which I've used a few times, but the break, the, bi- the bus breaks down and then you can't get your bike <laughs> to where you need to go. So, uh, and, and the promise was that that was going to happen on all the buses. So if one broke down, then you'd have a replacement bus. So we have, you know, there's sort of like, it's, it's like... Our council is aware of it, but they can't quite um, have the funds or don't have the same person as happens in so many of the smaller country towns. They don't have the same person in the job to see it all the way through. So I don't know how many relationships I've formed within our council to just have that person leave and then you form the next relationship and that person leave so that you sort of lose momentum with those projects as well, yeah. So it's not just necessarily a funding issue for you, Penny, but maybe even a, uh, I guess, interest from council issue? Interest, policy, awareness, yeah. We've um, just had the kind of first draft of our new walking and cycling strategy, which is three years late in being reviewed. Um, and I'm, I'm not just, I mean, Cycle Safe's one group but Mount Alexander Cycling is the group that we've collected together all mm. the cycling groups in Castlemaine and we've been really involved in that strategy the new strategy which is called active transport strategy because it lines up with the climate change strategy which is great 
but it's really disappointing in what's... I mean, it's a much more watered-down version than it was with the first one, which was written 13 years ago. Um, so we're hoping that some of our members can go into council and say, come on, like, it has to, it has to happen. The policies have to be written. People have to follow them. If new infrastructure goes in around housing, they'd put bike paths that connect it to the town. You know, it, it just has to be across the whole um, thought process of the council, really. You know, Penny, if you're fixing a, a footpath, make it wider. Yeah. There's so many things, <laughs> yeah. Penny, obviously, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of frustration that councils are um, maybe not as on top of this as they should be. Would you would you want to see this kind of elevated to more of a state, I guess, based policy level? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And they, I think in the new formation of Vic Roads plus Vic Rail, I think they're put together, there's some things happening, but then... If councils don't know about it, then they don't apply for the funding or don't put their hand up to say, yes, make that crossing for us, please. So, yes, state level, but it, it has to be listened to by the locals as well. Yeah. Oh, Penny, I really appreciate you talking this morning and, um, you know, a lot of issues, there, a lot of things that need to come together on that. Penny Gilbert, she's part of Cycle Safe Mount Alexander. And on the phone line, Kate, who's in Castlemaine. Kate, good morning. Hi. Penny, you uh, my apologies. Uh, Katie, do you ride? Um, I don't ride much at all, but partly because there is no road infrastructure, as Penny said, and I wholeheartedly agree with what she's talking about. Um, I think one of the things that I did want to say is that um, in regional areas and, and around here too, there are trails, there are bike trails there, like there's the Castle May Molden Rail Trail that was put, that was upgraded you know, a few years ago now, and there's a proposal to have the rail trail to Maryborough. Um, there's the Goldfields track, but they're much larger kind of weekend recreational mm. things rather than commuting, you know, just everyday commuting infrastructure, and there just is very little of that. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was there used to be a bicycle education program run by the Blue Light Foundation out of the Blue Light Camp in Malden. So primary schools from around the state Kids would come, they'd do a camp for, uh, I'm not sure, maybe for four days, it was something like that. And we used to have teams of kids riding around with the staff members. There'd be um, vehicles either end with flashing lights. It was just a way of the kids getting to ride around on roads to, un, you know, get used to um, traffic in a very safe, low-key place like Molden is. And they were fantastic. They were fantastic. And the Blue Light Foundation, in their wisdom, closed them down and sold off the facility last year. So I'm not sure if they've started that up again. But in terms of talking about bicycle education, there was some. But I don't know if there is any more. And that actually was run out of our region, which makes it even sadder. <laughs> Kate, just to cycle back, you said you don't do a lot of riding because of the infrastructure. Would you want to do more? Yeah, I certainly would. Even just around town, I probably I would ride more. And I could, realistically, I could. Like, there's not that much traffic in Malden um, for it to not feel safe. But in terms of riding around Castlemaine, I would never... I mean, I spend a lot of time in Castlemaine and I, um, I could have a bike there for me to use it, but I wouldn't do it because I just... The traffic and the way... 
um, the disregard of dri many drivers around here for cyclists and certainly between the two towns. There are a few people you see, diehards, who ride between Maldon and Castlemaine regularly and I live in awe of them because it's just riding on country narrow country roads when people are doing 100 <laughs> is fairly hairy. Like, you know, it's just awful. And with bendy roads where your visibility is limited, like it's difficult. It's difficult as a driver too, but I mean, a lot of drivers just don't want to slow down and overtake when it's safe to do so. Kate, thank you yeah. so much for calling. I really appreciate it. Kate's in Malden talking about, I guess, some of the barriers for her to be able to ride the way she'd like to, but also I think it was an interesting comment on are we doing enough to educate younger Aussies on safe riding as well. A quick text saying, look, the small city I grew up in, Canada, had great cycling attitudes. There was participation in infrastructure much better than Australia. And, says this texter, it even snows there half of the time of the year. Such a lost opportunity for Australia in terms of public health, environment and more. I have been perplexed by this for decades. And the faux rage against cyclists, please... Less cars in your way, people. Nick Healy here filling in this week for Rochelle. Text line from uh, text from Tracy. Sorry, car driver here. Do not like cyclists on the road. It's unsafe and hindrance. Make sure they're in their own lanes. Julia Hunter is with the RACV. Julia, good morning. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm well. Is it us versus them when it comes to cars and bikes? Oh, gee, that's, that's a perennial question, isn't that? Look, look, what I would say is actually most Victorians are multimodal. So, so no, I don't think it's us, us versus them. So, you know, our numbers would tell us that, you know, three out of four Victorians are using a mix of car, bike and, and public transport. So, so most of us are, are, are not just car drivers and not just PT users and not just bike riders. We're using a mix to get around. We have to note, though, that it's a little more easy to be that way when it comes to metropolitan areas. If you are trying to be multi-modal, wow, um, or even just sharing the road in regional parts of Victoria, that is tougher. Yeah, and I, and I think that's probably is, is a fair point and you know a, a bike is is not the the best option for all journeys but gee it's a good one for, for a lot of those shorter journeys be that getting you know to and from school um uh to and from the local shops um or if it's you know a, you know appropriate and there's you know a, a good safe option for you getting to and from work so julia i mean how do we make it safer for absolutely everybody? I mean, you've heard from a, a few people calling in this morning saying that they would love to ride more. They don't feel safe with drivers on the road. Yeah, and that is true of the majority of people. So there's some statistics out there that say around 60% of Victorians are, are curious about cycling, but they're deterred by real or, or perceived safety concerns. And, and it is in and around that safety element where, you know, where the discussion needs to sit because, you know, everyone deserves to be able to feel safe, um, whether they are riding or walking or, or driving. Um, and our position would be that, yeah, we do need um, some more investment in cycling infrastructure and particularly in infrastructure that separates motorists and pedestrians and cyclists. Uh, is there an interest in, in that actually occurring? I mean, if you've got if you are pushing for it, who are you speaking to at the RACV? 
Yeah, so we have our own policy positions that, that we develop. So they're there and they're available um, and we share those with, with government, be it, be it state or, or local government. Um, but they reflect our positions and, you know, the positions of our members and, and what we think reflects what Victorians need to help them get around safely. And what, what I mean, other than that infrastructure, is education an element of that? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think some of your, your callers as well talked to, you know, it's not just about the infrastructure when you're when you're planning to get on a bike to, to get somewhere it's about yes is the infrastructure there do i know the infrastructure's there how do i plan the safest route when i get to the end of my journey where do i where do i leave my bike so it, it needs to be thought about comprehensively from sort of that planning all the way through to that end of journey or, or end of trip as as you were talking about um, so there's a number of elements there look infrastructure is the key one from a safety perspective um, it's very clear that having separated bike lanes um, is the, the key thing that will help more cyclists to feel safer uh, and leads to increased participation as a result of that. But yes, in addition to that, education and awareness, um, and I heard some of your callers talking about um, education for kids. Um, I think that's fabulous. Um, and there's some great people out there like Bicycle Network who, who do run some wonderful programs for, for kids. Mm. Um, so absolutely supportive of that. And, and you know, in, in conjunction with having the increased infrastructure, yes, we would say that um, we would like to see um, government run dedicated programs around um, how cyclists, pedestrians, drivers can safely interact um, on our roads and our shared pathways. I've had a text in from Nicole saying, this isn't fake rage, this is real rage. Sometimes I'd rather 10 cars just behind me doing under the speed limit than three scatters, scattered bikes on Beach Road where everyone has to slow down to 40 kilometres just to get around to use them. I've got a lot more texts like that, Julia. I mean, is the education coming from both cyclists knowing how to ride safely on the road and maybe, I don't know, some education around how drivers should be better interacting with those cyclists? Yeah, and that would certainly be, be our position is that education should be for all road users, you know, drivers, cyclists. And again, if you're on those, you know, shared paths, you know, we need to consider pedestrians, pedestrians as well. But, you know, again, I would I would call back to that the vast majority of us are, are multimodal um, and I'm sure we're all, um, you know, interested in making sure that everyone gets to where they're going as safely as they can. Julia, thanks for your time this morning. Julia Hunter is with the RACV. She's the General Manager of Mobility. A touch there on what it means in terms of cyclists being pushed onto the footpath. Someone texting in saying, it's us versus them when it comes to pedestrians. I have to become hyper vigilant. I've got e-scooters and cyclists on footpaths coming through me, even cars who speed up and try and run you over when you're on a crossing. Nicole Duncliffe-Wells is the President of Bike Bendigo. Nicola, sorry, good morning. How are you? Oh, good morning. How are you? Thanks for, thanks for having me on, Nick. Um, yeah, so, sorry, could you just repeat your question? I didn't have a question. I was just introducing oh, sorry. you. <laughs> we're, we're getting to that part. You're jumping the gun on this. You have been hearing a lot this morning, people texting in, people calling, saying that at the moment, and I've been interested by how many callers have said they would get onto the bike much, much more if they felt in any way safe. Is that a familiar sound to you? Yes, it absolutely is, Nick. And I think Julia mentioned before the, the research about, um, you know, the number of people who are interested in, in going by bike 
but aren't aren't uh, comfortable with the idea of riding on the road with cars. And we've heard many of them this morning. It's absolutely the case that we hear that in Bendigo through our own polling and through the City of Greater Bendigo's polling. Um, it, look, it, it people have talked about the expense of, of um, building infrastructure so mm. that people feel safe going by bike. But I think what's really expensive is the infrastructure that we build for motor vehicles, whether that's roads or whether that's car parks. Um, we spend huge amounts of money on that and don't think anything of it. And compared with compared with that, infrastructure for to for people to feel safe going by bike is cheap as chips. So I just wanted to to put to put that in there as well. Um, step, I just want to step I'll, back for a bit. What is the infrastructure like in Bendigo? How easy is it to ride around Bendigo for a commute? Yeah, look, it does depend a little bit on where you live. Where I live, um, it's pretty good. There's some, there's some, like we we do have some terrific um, off-road separated uh, tracks, particularly along the creeks, like the the Back Creek and the Bendigo Creek, um, but also some. Uh, away from the creeks that 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 are great for riding. There are, however, some critical gaps, and one of those critical gaps is through the city centre. So, for example, mm. if you work if you work in the city centre, as a, a a large proportion of of Bendigo workers do, then you can get you know you might be able to get a long way of your journey on an off-road path, depending on where you live. But once you hit that last sort of kilometre or two, you um, are riding on the road with cars and that's a big um, put off for a lot of people so that's I know there are plans in place for there for that to be remedied and for in the next couple of years for some separated um, infrastructure for bikes to go in through a couple of roads in the city centre which will be a game changer and it's something that we're advocating for very strongly and I know that a lot of people will be really excited by that um, but I think the other thing, I mean, I, I mentioned at Bike Bendigo's own polling has shown that infrastructure is such a huge yeah. um, game changer. But the second thing is a culture of going by bike. And I think particularly in regional areas, um, we are all so used to being able to just drive where we want to go and park where we want to go. And um, that's there's there is certainly increasing traffic over the last well little while like it's it's increasing all the time um and so but we don't have the we don't have in melbourne you know if you were driving you'd have to drive you know you'd be sitting in traffic for hours and so that's an incentive not to drive we don't have that so much in regional areas but most of our journeys many of our journeys are really short like you know, two, three, four kilometres, which is very doable on a bike. And if we have the infrastructure in place, then, I mean, I think there is a huge opportunity for for that to be made, um, a, for you know, going by bike or walking to be a real option. And it makes us feel good. I mean, it's great for, I think someone mentioned public health before, just going by bike for 10, 15 minutes Really, I mean, I, I try to make sure that I can fit it into my my day wherever <laughs> possible because I feel so much better. I'm, you know, I'm not as crabby with the kids. I'm not, you know, I sleep better. I feel better. I eat better. It Look, just I, makes me feel good. Those, and it doesn't have to be, you know, massive 
workouts. It's just those those short trips. So, um, Nicola, I know that doesn't work for everyone, but I find it the same. I find it quite innovative, uh, innovating, and and even pretty good for my mental health as well. If I'm being honest sure. about that, you mentioned oh, culture yeah. shift, and there's a text here I'd love you to hear. It says, "Wake up to yourself. A bike is predominantly recreational. No one else can ride a bike except the kind of people like yourself who's in an office. Can you imagine a doctor?" or a lawyer or anyone that has to wear a suit cycling in. They can't be substituted for cars. I have edited that a little bit. I mean, I would say that if you look at a metro city like Melbourne, you will find people in suits cycling to work. Oh, for sure, for sure. When you're – look, yes, it can be – it can be a personal thing and and it's certainly not for everybody, but it can be for anybody – Look, when you're riding two, three, four kilometres, it's not very far. Many people these days are buying e-bikes. If you're a doctor or a lawyer, I'm sure you can afford an e-bike. It, you know, you don't have to sweat. You don't have to go fast. You can, it takes, you know, for, if you're riding two, three, four kilometres in, in peak hour, it takes about the same amount of time. You can carry stuff on your bike or if you want to, you can, you know, drive in on the Monday, take your suits in and then <laughs> then ride in the other days and get changed when you go to work. Many people do that as well. Um, but another, I think we don't have a culture where that's normal. And so it seems so, people can't visualise it. Um, people can't, can't imagine themselves doing it. And I think if we can, uh, you look at Europe, everyone does it. There's a culture of it. Yeah. And, and and that was a culture shift, for example, in the Netherlands in the in the 60s and 70s post-war. They decided, they made a choice not to, to not build for cars, but to actually um, to actually create, you know, a culture of, of of active travel. So it's it's and when you look at when you look at culture, I mean, one one of the things Mike Bendigo is really advocating is for a commitment of resources to build that culture and that's things like support for you know people to you know how do you get to the office with your suit like where do I park my bike how can I you know make sure my hair's okay and (laughs) and might be programs and things like that but also if you're going to change if you're trying to build a culture of recycling for example or during COVID of getting vaccinated you have a big campaign about it you put some dollars into making it easy for people you put the clinic so that people can just walk in you know you make you make it easy but you promote it. You have a campaign. You show how to do it. You, <laughs> you, you, you promote it as the norm. And that doesn't happen with but going by bike. But it no. could if there was, if there was a commitment of of resources. I and guess there, all there I would is, ask Nicola just quickly is: is chicken or egg? Like, it feels like no one's going to stump up cash for infrastructure without the culture already there. And it feels like without that infrastructure, we can't build the culture. So, do we just go round and round in circles, except not on a well, bike? <laughs> well, the government actually has targets for active travel. The the state government, the Victorian government has a target of 25% of all trips in Victoria to be by active modes by 2030. So we're talking by, by wow. walking and cycling by 2030. The city of Greater Bendigo has active travel targets of one-third of all trips by active modes by 2036, one-third by public transport and one-third by EV. So this is all around climate targets because uh, transport is the second highest 
contributor of um, of uh, carbon emissions after the energy sector, and it's the fastest growing, and it's largely through private motor vehicles and and delivery vans. So it's this is if if we're really going to look at at climate action this is something that we can't ignore it's getting bigger all the time and so that those targets and for in the the state government targets that it's legislated their their 2050 um you know i can't remember exactly what the um the legislation is but their their carbon um legislate their climate change legislation so they they need to be working towards this and so we can call the government on that and say hey you've got you you try to do 25% active active modes by 2030 what are you doing about it you know we need to be promoting this we need to be making it easy for for active modes to be a real option and Nicola, we're going to have to leave not. it there. I'm so sorry. We are going to have to leave it there simply because I've got a board full of calls to get through. But yes. Nicola yes. Duncliffe-Wells, thank you so very much. She's the president of Bike Bendigo. I will actually have to get my bike out to Bendigo and test out what it's like. On the phone line, Liz, who's in Canberra. Liz, good morning. Oh, hi. Good morning. Good morning. Um, you, yes. tell, what, what's Canberra's it like to ride in Canberra? Well, it's a mecca of riding because there's bike lanes everywhere. There's bike paths everywhere. They all connect mostly and there's um, an edge on every road so you can ride. But some people still don't like riding on the road, but there's plenty of bike paths to get you all the way around Canberra. Is it something you take advantage of personally? Do you ride? Yeah, I ride. um, I ride to work and you can always, um, most workplaces like will have a shower and somewhere to park your bike. And I think Canberra's got the most bike riding participants in Australia. So their infrastructure happened when the um, Canberra was designed. But if you're going to get people on bikes, you've got to have places for them to ride. Some people don't like riding on the road, so they prefer the bike paths, and some people are okay on the road. And um, cars and bikes got to learn to live with each other. And yeah. You just have to slow down and pass the bikes. You just don't get frustrated. That's so my going, idea anyway. Oh, I, I think you're not alone in that idea. Trust me, Liz. <laughs> but going back to what Nicola was saying before about making sure that culture's there, it sounds like Canberra's nailed that. There is a real culture that it is completely normal to dive on the bike and go to work, the shops or wherever you need to be. Oh, absolutely. And there's all bike. There's some um, places to lock your bikes up when you go to the shops. They're everywhere, even at the all the um, tourist places. You can lock your bike against something. It's all um, all supported there. So it I is. think people should come and have a look in Canberra. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Canberra tourism, I love it there. Thank you very much, Gillies in Canberra. We'll go to Charles, who's in Mount Macedon. Uh, Charles, you've actually spent a bit of time riding around Europe. Yeah, my wife and I have spent, we've travelled three, 4,000 kilometres around Europe. We went right through Italy. Wow. Um, across into Germany, Austria, France. Some of that has, has bike paths. Some of the, the bike paths are superb. But throughout Italy, we were riding on narrow country roads and we had no issues with, with cars. They would just wait and pass and give you a wave. Um, and then, of course, if you want the ultimate, the Rolls-Royce of bicycle countries is Holland. It's, it's, it's a part of their life. It just happens. Multi-storey car parks, for, sorry, multi-storey bike parks. Um, 
it's, it's just a shock. Um, you know, it, it's, yeah, the way they work. Um, oh, and I'd have I'm to say su- any... Mm-hmm. I'm surprised Sorry. what you said about Italy is only because, you know, we're hearing from a few people that it's all about making sure that the cars and the bikes have that separate infrastructure. That's how we kind of get that riding culture or a better understanding of it. But what you're describing around Italy is a perfect awareness and a perfect culture of sharing those spaces. Yeah, they're kind of relaxed and you'd see dirty big semi-trailers doing 27.2 and people just wait and they sit there and the truck gets out of the way and away they go. So it's an attitudinal change is really important. But the other thing is that any any city that is not planning for e-bikes should be dismissed. Uh, they, it's a lay-down misere. There'll be billions of them soon. You you think the writing's on the wall? Yeah, I'm. You'd have to be bonkers to to take a car into Melbourne. Um, you've got maybe twenty thirty k range on an e-bike easily. And as for people who say you can't, yeah, you know, as somebody said, you've got showers, you've got changing rooms. And you don't have to sweat on those bikes anyway. Again, in Holland, everybody uses bikes. Doctors, lawyers, everybody, even the royal family. (laughs) Charles, I'm really glad you called. Very big insight there. Charles, talking about his time riding around Europe. I've got Earl on the line from Caulfield South. Earl, good morning. Hi. I've ridden in the country and the uh, infrastructure really is atrocious out there. But basically, there just needs to be, as everyone said, an attitude change. Everyone is a road user. Before there were cars, there were, you used to see thousands of cyclists. And with global warming, I drive, I ride, I walk. And you just want everyone to respect everyone else. And that's enough. Thanks. Do you think we could find our way back to that respect? Do you think that's actually possible? Well, I'd hope it would be. I would hope it would be too, Earl. Thanks so much for calling in. On the text line, in Copenhagen, the bikes rule the road. I'm sure drivers are terrified of them. Uh, That was Jane in St Kilda. Thank you for texting. We've got Gary Brennan. Gary's the General Manager of External Relations for the Bicycle Network, a group that's been brought up more than a few times today. They advocate for Australia to become a nation of bike riders. Gary, good morning. Good morning. We're hearing all about this infrastructure, a great deal of pressure on on how we make sure that those pathways are there for people to ride on, ride safely on roads. I want to touch a bit more on how important that end-of-trip infrastructure is as well. It is very important. I think Melbourne was one of the first cities in the world that end-of-trip facilities became compulsory as part of all new property developments, office developments, um, and so on. Uh, and so we've had end-of-trip facilities in Melbourne, in the CBD and the suburbs, in all of the big new developments for quite a few years now. And that certainly did unlock uh, bike travel for a lot of people. When we talk end-of-trip, I mean, what, is it just somewhere to tie up your bike? Is it more detailed than that? What do we need? Look, I, I think uh, what we mean and what the law says is that you've got to have bike parking, uh, you've got to have lockers and showers. Um, and, you know, that enables people to come to work and get changed at the office and get set up and uh, you need hair dryers and mirrors and things like that. Now, in a big company, that's relatively straightforward. 
and it's not horribly expensive. And I think many regional employers in in across Victoria ought to be able to do that, and they should be. Um, for for smaller firms, obviously, you can't get quite the, to the gold tap level of um, experience, but it's still possible. It, it's not that hard to do. Gary, is there more interest? I know the Bike Network looks at the Great Bike Count. You know, we try and get a sense of how many people are using that active transportation. I'm not expecting you to break down numbers, but it seems to me like even in regional areas, we are getting a bigger interest in bike riding. Is that what you're seeing? Yes, it's it's been going on now from, from considerably more than a decade. Steady, organic growth uh, Obviously, if you're closer to the inner city, there's a, an awful lot, uh, larger number of riders, and the further out you get, the fewer. But it's growing slowly and gradually and inevitably everywhere we look. And I think the biggest driver, Nick, is health. Mm. I think, you know, we, we now have, in Australia, you know, getting on towards one and a half million people living with diabetes. Uh, we have a, we've become a sedentary nation and it's taking a terrible toll on the health of the community. And by far, the best way to reverse that trend is for people to get a lot more exercise. Physical activity is the key and riding a bike to work is a great way to do it um, because it's time you've got to spend anyway. You've got to get to work somehow, so you might as well be doing it on a bike at every opportunity you can, and you'll live longer and you'll live healthier. Gary, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat this morning. Gary Brennan from the Bicycle Network. One quick text saying you're dodging the elephant in the room. You're talking bike riders but not mentioning the lycra hoons that practice bike sport on the roads. Chris, appreciate that. Uh, We are trying to talk biking as transportation in particular. On the line, I've got David in Vermont. David, good morning. Good morning. What did you want to talk about this morning? Um, I ride a bike from Vermont to the city of Monash every day for work and have for 25 years. And what I wanted to reflect on is the culture between Australia and Europe. In Australia, as people have said, car drivers get very frustrated and are seen as an impediment. But I've also ridden in Europe, and there's laws in Europe that say that you can't go near a bike bike rider, and if you do, you're, um, you're actually guilty until proven innocent. And people, I've ridden in Europe on roads with my children in primary school, and it's very safe because car drivers are patient and see you as part of the community. It's not us versus them. Until we can change that, I think we're we're sort of leaving the elephant in the room. We need to change the attitude of Australians towards each other on the roads. David, I mean, many people would say, well, that's easy in smaller countries, like physically smaller countries. It's easier to talk about that if we're looking at just metro areas. Talking regionally, that is tougher. Do you think that's true? Regionally, I think it's tougher because what people have said about um, uh, small road, narrow roads with 100 kilometre limits, it's very difficult to change that. But I'm, I'm talking about my experience of living in metropolitan Melbourne. And mm. in 25 years of riding... Um, we haven't built, I can tell you, I ride the same path or the same roads. The infrastructure on that road has not changed in 25 years to improve anything for cyclists. Right. So, look, that infrastructure is, I guess, ageing. Does it feel unsafe for you, David? Um, 
I'm reasonably confident in the road, but not a month would go by without a, I have to be very vigilant, without a near miss with a vehicle or um, some verbal, some form of verbal abuse from a driver for me doing absolutely nothing wrong because they feel a bit entitled. Now, 99% of people are not like that, but you will get people like that. And that's what, what will put other people off from riding. Yeah, we do need a bit of that shift. David, thank you so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. I will just say from my own experience, I have been hit by a car while riding my bike to work one time. Um, it was not a particularly pleasant experience. I was fine. My bike was not. But I was surprised at how angry the driver was that they'd hit me. Um, uh, and, you know, to be very clear, they were firmly at fault in that. I realised that they were a bit shook up, but I was a bit shocked to be yelled at by the person who had just hit me. That's all from me today. I will be back with you on Monday. We're going to talk Frontier Tourism.